Exodus chapter 12. The background is that the Israelites have been for many hundreds of years in Egypt. They have been slaves there. And God has asked Pharaoh through his servant Moses to let the Israelites go. And repeatedly, Pharaoh has refused. God sent nine different plagues on the Egyptians, but each time Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let the Israelites go. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts." And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals in your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord, Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. 
In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread." Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from His Word, and to His name be the praise. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? O Lord, the incident we have been reading about took place thousands of years ago, 
And yet we believe that this record is the living word of the living God. We ask that your word might live for us this evening. For your glory's sake. Amen. In a few weeks' time, Jewish people around the world will gather in families to celebrate the Passover. They will commemorate the events that are recorded for us here in Exodus chapter 12. The escape of their ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. The rescue from Egypt still has profound significance for the Jews. But it also has significance for us as Christians. When we read about this foundational event in the history of God's dealings with his people, we're not simply learning about the history of another nation. We're learning about our own history. And that becomes even clearer when we realize that this first exodus, great as it was, foreshadowed an even greater rescue, the rescue which was achieved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross, he rescued all who trust in him from slavery to sin. He secured for them an eternal future in the promised land of heaven. And so this passage recounts events which constitute our roots, which tell us who we are and which give us, too, our identity. And if you're not a Christian, then perhaps grasping the significance of what was happening at this first Passover may help you understand more of the salvation which Jesus Christ came to bring. There are three things I'd like to highlight from this chapter. They are judgment, salvation, and remembrance. Judgment, salvation, and remembrance. First of all, then, judgment. When the book of Exodus begins, the Israelites are an oppressed minority in the land of Egypt. They are slaves in the service of their Egyptian masters. But generations before, God had given their ancestor Abraham some amazing promises. He had promised to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation. He promised to give them a land to live in. He had promised to bless them and in turn bless the whole world through them. God hadn't forgotten his promises, and so he raised up Moses to lead the Israelites. Moses and his brother Aaron went to see Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, and in God's name they asked him to let the Israelites go. But Pharaoh was contemptuous of their request. He was the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. He wasn't used to taking orders from anyone. 
And he certainly wasn't going to take orders from a tribal deity. Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. The name Lord is a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the name by which God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Yahweh is a somewhat enigmatic name. It means, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It denotes the all-sufficiency of God to his people in every situation. Alec Motier was a Bible scholar who specialized in the study of the Old Testament. He recounts an incident which happened shortly after he became a minister. He was in his first church, and he thought it would be a good idea to go round the various organizations in order to get to know the congregation. So one day he went along to the women's meeting, and he was intrigued when the speaker announced her text. She was speaking from the AV, from the authorized version of the Bible, and she said that she was going to speak on God's name, I am that I am. Alec Matir was somewhat mischievous. He thought, this could, this could be very interesting. I wonder what she's going to make of this. Well, basically what the speaker said was that if you're in a situation of need, if there's something you really need, then God will meet that need. He'll provide that very thing. He will come to you and say, I am that. I am. I am that. I am. Alec Moutier didn't agree with the speaker's uh, linguistic analysis, but he did agree that she had probably hit the nail on the head. This is what he says, when God's people need deliverance, he's the deliverer, and when they need salvation, he's their savior. I am that. I am who is the Lord, asked Pharaoh contemptuously. And it's as if God says in response, I am the Lord, the God who is faithful to his people in every situation. Watch me and see. As he sent ten plagues, one after the other, on Pharaoh and his people. But again and again, Pharaoh refused to recognize reality. He hardened his heart against the living God. Here in chapter 12, we have the tenth and final plague, the plague of the firstborn. All the plagues were dreadful, but this is easily the worst. The Lord warned Moses, warned Pharaoh through Moses that at midnight 
he would go through the whole land of Egypt and strike down the firstborn in each family and the firstborn of animals too. It's almost too dreadful to imagine. Just think what it would mean in each and every Egyptian family there would be a death. But Pharaoh didn't heed the warning. He had seen ample evidence of God's power in the previous nine plagues, but he was still resistant. God had told Moses that Pharaoh would refuse to listen. You see, God allowed Pharaoh to resist him so that he might be glorified. By the end of the long duel between Pharaoh and God, we have a much better sense of who God is. There's no doubt but that he is absolutely supreme. He's not the tin pot deity of just one small tribe as Pharaoh thought. He's the ruler of the universe. In the plagues, God reveals who he is so that his name may be honored among the Israelites, among the Egyptians, and throughout the whole world. And if we have a low view of God, if we fail to take him seriously, we need to learn that that is a big mistake. In his patience and mercy, God may allow our rebellion to continue for some time. After all, Pharaoh's fight with God went through ten rounds. It was only in the final round that God administered the knockout blow. But there is only one winner in the end. The God of the Bible is no pushover. He is a God of infinite love, yes. But he's also a God of holiness and of awesome power. We see that very clearly in this final terrible plague. Things happen just as God said they would. He struck down all the firstborn of the Egyptians and the firstborn of their livestock. He finally acted in decisive judgment after showing great patience over a long period. God is a mighty judge. He will not tolerate rebellion indefinitely. He must act to punish sin. Pharaoh discovered that. And like Pharaoh, if we persist in refusing to acknowledge God we too shall one day meet him as our judge. Judgment. God is a mighty judge. That's the first uncomfortable truth we learn from this chapter. But we can't stop there. The second thing I'd like to highlight from the passage is salvation. For if the Egyptians were judged, the Israelites were wonderfully saved. In this tenth plague, the Lord comes personally into the land of Egypt. Look at 
what the Lord says in verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. God was going to intervene personally. He was about to judge Pharaoh and his people. But it wasn't just the Egyptians who were in danger. With the Lord stepping into the situation, the Israelites too had reason to be concerned about how they stood before a holy God. That's why we have the Passover. In the midst of terrible judgment, the Lord in his mercy provided the Israelites with a way of escape. God gave Moses instructions about what the people were to do. Each family was to select a lamb or kid, a one-year-old male in perfect condition. From the 10th to the 14th day of the month, the animal was to be separated from the flock or herd and cared for at the family home. And then at twilight on the 14th day, the lamb or kid was to be slaughtered. The people were to take some of the blood and daub it on the sides of the doors and on the lintels. They were then to roast the meat and feast on it. Why did the lamb have to die? The answer is that the lamb was a sacrifice. In verse 27, it's called the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. If God was to bring judgment on the land of Egypt, it wasn't just the Egyptians who deserved judgment. The Israelites deserved it too. The Bible makes clear that none of us is innocent in God's sight. We have all sinned and fallen short of his standards. That was true of the Egyptians. It was also true of the Israelites. And so if the holy God was to pass through the land in judgment, it wasn't just the Egyptians who were in danger. On the night of the Passover, there was a death in each Egyptian family. The firstborn died but there was a death in each Israelite family too, except that it wasn't the firstborn who died. It was a lamb or kid which died in their place as their substitute. The lamb died so that the firstborn would live. Sprinkling the blood on the door frames of the houses was vitally important. Look at what God says in verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, the Israelites had in a, in a very real sense to shelter under the protection of the blood. In doing so they were identifying with God's provision of a substitute for the firstborn, 
And they were showing that they trusted God's promise, that if they did what he commanded, he would spare them. It happened just as God said. Verse 30 tells us that Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. But the Israelites, sheltering in their houses under the protection of the blood, emerged unscathed. On the one hand, there was dreadful judgment. On the other, there was great salvation. Pharaoh urgently summoned Moses and Aaron and asked the Israelites to leave. No longer was he asking, who is the Lord? He now knew who he was. He knew he was a mighty judge. The, the Egyptians had experienced his judgment. But through sacrifice, the Israelites had been saved and they were now free to leave Egypt. They did so laden with silver and gold and clothing. Theirs was an amazing rescue. God had done it from beginning to end. And the central act in that rescue was the substitution of a lamb for the firstborn. Because the lamb died, the firstborn could live and the Israelites could go. Substitution is central to the whole Bible. It's central to the Old Testament. It lies at the heart of animal sacrifice. The worshipper came to the tabernacle or temple bringing an animal and presented it for sacrifice. The animal was slaughtered. It took the place of the worshipper, as it were. It bore the punishment which the worshipper's sins deserved. But substitution also lies at the heart of the New Testament. John the Baptist pointed at his cousin, the Lord Jesus, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Elsewhere he writes, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Peter writes, He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. In the Gospels, we have frequent echoes of Passover. It was in Passover week that Jesus died. John tells us in his Gospel that Jesus died on the day of the preparation of Passover, at the time when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed for the Passover meal. That was no coincidence. The Apostle Paul makes the point explicitly in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, where he writes, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
You see what he's saying? He's making the point that in his death, Jesus was taking our place. He was dying as our substitute. He was taking upon himself the condemnation which we deserved so that we might go free. The deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt was amazing. But what Jesus achieved on the cross was far, far greater. But there's something which each of us must do. Remember what the Israelites had to do here. They had to kill the lamb, and they had to sprinkle the blood around the door frame of their house. They had to shelter consciously under the protection of the blood. In that way, they showed that they accepted the sacrifice of the Lamb for themselves. They showed that they entrusted themselves to the protection which the Lamb's death afforded in accordance with God's command. Well, in much the same way, we need to trust in Jesus' sacrifice. We need to accept all that he has done for sinners like you and like me. We need to identify with him in his life and death and resurrection. Can I ask you this evening, have you done that? The Bible says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Judgment, salvation. Finally, remembrance. Remembrance. What God did for his people in that first Passover night was so momentous, it was never to be forgotten. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, says God, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Every year the Israelites were to celebrate the Passover in commemoration of the Exodus. Each year a lamb was to be killed. So verse 26, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. One of the purposes of the Passover was to awaken children's curiosity. Just imagine how it might have worked out. On the 10th day of the month, dad brought a lamb to the family home. And for the next few days, the children got to know the lamb. Just when the arguments about what name to give the lamb had subsided, and they'd settled in a name, then the father 
would kill the lamb. You can imagine why the children would say, Dad, what are you doing? What's all this about? And the father has to explain it's because of the Passover. All those years ago, the lamb is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. It reminds us that believers have a responsibility to share their faith with their children. Of course, as Christians, we no longer celebrate the Passover. In many ways, that's a good thing. We don't have to go to the hassle of slaughtering a lamb. And I, for one, am pleased about that. No, we don't observe the Passover because our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been sacrificed once and for all. You see, the Passover not only looked back, looked back to the Exodus, it also pointed forward. It pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and to the great redemption he achieved there. It prefigured a much greater rescue. When Jesus died, the greater deliverance which the Exodus prefigured was realized. The New Testament tells us how on the night before he died, Jesus sat round a table with his disciples and ate a Passover meal. He told his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. For generations, the head of the household had picked up the unleavened bread and said, this is the bread of the affliction which our fathers had to eat as they came out of Egypt. Jesus repeated the familiar action. He picks up the leavened bread, but what he says is different. He says, this is my body given for you. Jesus is saying, look, this is really about me. And he makes the same point when he takes the wine cup, another familiar part of the Passover meal, and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, in Jesus' hands, the focus is no longer on the first Passover all those years ago. It's on Jesus dying on the cross as the Passover lamb par excellence. The Passover is fulfilled in the death of Jesus. And it's those aspects of the Passover meal, the eating of the bread, the drinking of the wine, which have been preserved for us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which has replaced Passover on the authority of the Lord Jesus himself. Do this, said Jesus, in remembrance of me. When in the Lord's Supper we eat bread and drink wine, we are remembering Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. It's a memorial meal 
reminding us of all that He has done for us and for our salvation as our substitute, as our sacrificial lamb. The Passover didn't simply involve a sacrifice. It was also, in a very real sense, a meal. The same lamb which provided protection from God's wrath also provided sustenance for the Israelites as they set out on their journey for the promised land. They were to eat the flesh of the lamb. They were to enjoy the roast lamb. That was a meal for them as they prepared to leave Egypt in a hurry. They were told to eat the first Passover in haste with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. The Passover was a fortifying meal as well as a sacrifice to the Lord. And in a similar way, the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper not only remind us of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross, they also highlight how we need to live day by day in dependence on the Lord Jesus. I like the way the Anglican prayer book puts it. It speaks of feeding on Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. It's a reminder that by his death, Christ has secured not only forgiveness and acceptance before a holy God, but also all we need for every step of the way from here to our eternal home. In him, we have all we need for life and godliness. We need to remember that. Judgment, salvation, remembrance. Judgment. God is a mighty judge. Let's not forget that. Salvation. God has provided a substitute for us, a sacrificial lamb. We too can say with the Apostle Paul, he loved me and gave himself for me if we put our trust in Jesus. Remembrance. We need to remember day by day of all that the Lord Jesus has done in paying the penalty for our sin. And we need to live in conscious dependence on Him. We need to live in the good of all that He is and all that He has done. Shall we pray? O Lord, help us to recognize that you are indeed a mighty judge. Help us to come into your presence with reverence and godly fear. 
but thank you that you have provided a way of escape. Thank you for the salvation that is freely offered to us in the Lord Jesus. We pray that each of us may put our trust in him for time and for eternity. Help us to remember the Lord Jesus day by day. Help us to remember him each day of this week. Help us to live in dependence on his grace. We ask it in his name. Amen.